And this is the fifth part, uh, part or aliyah for Parshas Chukat. We have the story of the passing of Aharon, Moshe's brother. Verse 22 in chapter 20. By Yisumi Kadesh, the Jewish people traveled from the place called Kadesh, and they came, the entire congregation, to the Mount of Har. Now, why does it verse say Kalhaida, the entire congregation? What is it emphasizing? Rashi tells us that they were now complete, they were standing ready to enter the land, meaning that all of the people who upon whom was de decreed, the generation that left Egypt, it was decreed upon them that they would die in the desert, they had already died. And the people that are being spoken of here are all the ones that are going to go into the land of Israel. And the, the verse describes them as alive. Chaim kulchem ayom. Alive because they are the ones who are going to live, not die in the desert. Rashi also comments on this place. They came to this place called Hoir Hahar, which literally translated is the mountain of the mountain. So Har in Hebrew is a mountain. Hoir Hahar means the mountain of the mountain. Says Rashi, Har al Gabi Har. Why is it so called? It's because there's a mountain on top of a mountain, like a small apple sitting on top of a larger apple. Rashi now comments, <clears throat> we know that part of what the cloud that was going in front of the Jewish people, part of what it was doing is it was flattening the ground. So there'd be easy for the Jewish people to walk. This was a miraculous phenomenon. So how could there have been any mountain? Wouldn't, have, wouldn't it have been flattened by the cloud. So Rashi says, even though the cloud is going in front of them and flattening all the mountains, there were three that remained and were not flattened. And those are Har Sinai, Mount Sinai for the receiving of the Torah, Har Nevo, where Moshe would be buried, and Hor Hahar for the burial of Aharon. From a Hasidic uh, standpoint, the Alter Rebbe talks about how in Aharon's name and in Avraham's name, there is the word har, which means mountain. So Avraham has has the H and R in it, hey and a resh in it, and it represents love. The Midrash says it talks, it refers to love and kindness. And Avraham, of course, was known for his love and kindness. The Alter Rebbe points out that Aharon also is known for love and kindness, and that's the association with this hoir har with this mountain. But in Aaron's case, whose name also has har in it. There's this uh, connection with the mountain of the mountain where he's going to be buried, indicating that the love and kindness that Aaron had even surpassed that of Abraham. Verse 23, So God says to Moshe and to Aaron at Hoirahar, al while they're at the border of the land of Edom, saying, now what's it, why is it, important to mention that this happened at the border of the land of Edom. We know where they were. Says Rashi that it was because of their interaction with Edom that leads to the death of Aharon. Let's see what Rashi says. Magid mission is Khan. Because the Jewish people had interacted over here and were trying to pass through the land of Edom, as we learned yesterday, they're trying to come to some kind of agreement with them. To, and Edom, of course, are the descendants of Esav Harasha, Esav the wicked. It's because of that interaction with Esav the wicked that causes that this tzaddik, this righteous person, Aaron, is removed from them. And it teaches you 
how important it is to stay away from this ace of harasha from this this wicked ace of and rashi also cites that we find this in the prophets in the book of chronicles that the nabi says to Ye the nabi the prophet says to yehoshaphat one of the kings he says to him that because you you joined up with Ahaziahu, who was a wicked king, this is why you've had, God has breached your accomplishments, you're having trouble. So it's the idea that we also have in Pirkei Avot, do not connect yourself to the wicked because it can have negative results. In this case, Aharon, their beloved Aharon, is taken from them. So now the Torah is going to describe the story of, of Aharon's passing. Very, very interesting and poignant description. Verse 24, asif Aaron elamav. Aaron is going to die. He's going to be gathered in. Yeasef means to gather, be gathered into his to his nation, which means he's going to die. He's not because he's not going to go into the land that I'm giving to the Jewish people. Why? God reminds them, because you defied my word at the waters of dispute in the story of the hitting of the rock. Verse 25. Now God says to Moshe, he says, Kach es Aharon, take Aharon and Elazar his son and bring them up to the to, to Hor Hahar, to the Mount Hor. Says Rashi, and we've seen this several times already, that whenever it says take a person, it doesn't mean to grab him by the arm. It means to use your words. So what kind of words should Mo Moshe use to take Aharon to his death, essentially? Says Rashi, take him with words of comfort. What are the words of comfort? And Marla, you should say to Aaron, Ashrecha, how fortunate are you that you are seeing your crown, the crown of the high priesthood, being given to your son, Elazar. Whereas I, Moshe, I have not merited this. My children are not inheriting, inheriting the leadership of the Jewish people. That's going to go to Joshua. So even though you're passing away, and that's very sad, but at least you can be comforted in the fact the knowledge that your son is going to be taking over your position. Verse 26, Have Aharon remove his clothing, and that's his, his priestly vestments, as we'll see in Rashi. You shall put them on Elazar his son. You shall clothe Elazar his son with them. Aaron will be gathered in, and he will pass away there. If you'll remember, when we had the death of Miriam, it also had this word sham there, that Miriam died there. And also with Aaron, it says Aaron died there. And, and that's how we get the connection between the two, that they both died in the similar way with the divine kiss, so to speak, as we'll see in Rashi. Let's look at Rashi. Rashi says, first have, God tells Moshe, first have Aaron put on, don his priestly garments, and then take them off, and to put them on his son in front of Aharon, in Aharon's presence. It's important that Aharon should actually see visually how Elazar is being crowned and dressed in the in the, the garments of the high priest. Furthermore, he said, tell Aharon, enter the cave. So there's a cave in this Horahar, in this mountain. Tell Aharon to enter the cave. Aharon entered. What did he see there? He saw a bed a bed that was made and there was a lamp that was that was lit and Moshe says to him lamita, go up onto the bed and he went onto bed he lied on the, on the bed he says stretch out your arms and he did so he says close your mouth and he did so he said close your eyes and he closed his eyes 
and Aharon passes away in this very serene and tranquil way. And when Moshe sees this, when Moses sees what's happening with Aaron, immediately he desires this type of death. And we'll see later on when it describes Moshe's death, it says, God says to him, you're going to, to pass away. In the same way that your brother died. What does that mean? In the same way that your brother died. It's the same way as everybody dies. No, it's the way that your brother died. This way, what is called Misa, Snishika, the death by divine kiss the death that you desired. The Gemara says, the Talmud says, there were seven who died in this way, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moshe and Aaron, and Miriam. That's six. Verse 27, as God commanded him. Rashi's going to wonder, why does it have to tell us that Moshe did what God commanded him? Rashi says, because this is a difficult thing. It's a very difficult for him to have to go and tell Aaron that he's going to die and go through this whole process leading to his brother's death. But yes, Moshe, but he does it anyway. And we're seeing again, like we saw yesterday, that Moshe does what needs to get done, even if it's difficult. So they go up. In the presence, in front of the eyes of all of the people. Verse 28. Now Moshe strips Aaron of his garments and he dresses Elazar, his son, with them. And Aaron passes away over there at the top of the mountain. And Moshe and Elazar, they come down from the mountain. Now when this people see that only that three people went up and only two came down, hey, what happened to, to Aaron? As Rashi says, they ask, hey, Chanu Aaron, where is Aaron? So Moshe says to them, Mace, he died. The people can't believe it. How is it possible that Aharon, the one who stood up against the angel of death and he stopped the plague back in Parshas Korach last week, how is it possible that the angel of death had any had any power over him and was able to take him? They couldn't believe that Aharon had died, even though Aaron was then 123 years old. Now, the truth is that it wasn't the angel of death that took them. As I mentioned, the Talmud says there were six that died with the death, with this divine kiss, that means that it wasn't a, de- a typical death by the angel of death, by the Malach Amabis. So in a way, they were right. But Moshe is in a bind over here. They don't believe that Aaron has died. What is he going to do? So he requests mercy from God and an image. The angels of uh, uh, the ministering angels show an image to the Jewish people of Aaron lying in a bed. Uh, he has passed away. So they see this, and now they believe indeed. Aharon has passed away. So, the, so now go back, going back to the verse 29, the people see that Aharon has passed away. What does it mean that they saw that he passed away? Says Rashi, they saw this image that the angels had put up uh, that, 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 that shows that Aharon has passed away. And they cry for Aharon for 30 days. Kol Beis Israel, all of the house of Israel. Says Rashi, why does it say all of the house of Israel? It's an unusual expression. Says Rashi, it means the men and the women. Why? Because Aharon would pursue peace and he would he would instill love between people who were fighting with each other and between a husband and a wife. So this is the famous story. And um, I'll conclude with this because it starts a new section after that. So the story with 
with um, with Aaron, a well-known story that's cited in Avot, Rabbi Natan, commenting on the first chapter of Perkei Avot, where it says, you shall be of the students of Aaron pursuing peace, is that when Aaron saw the two people were fighting, he would go to each one and go, let's say, uh, Reuven and Shimon were fighting. He would go to Reuven and say, you know, Reuven, Shimon really wants to make peace with you. And then he would go to Shimon and, 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 and say, you know, Reuven really wants to make peace with you. Now, this wasn't, he was making up a story in a way because he, he, he Reuven or, either Reuven or Shimon had told him, I want to make peace with the other, with the disputant. But when those two people would see each other, they would make peace because sometimes people don't make peace because they they think the other person's angry at them. So when they heard from Aaron, the other person's not angry at them, they would make peace. It was a beautiful uh, teaching of the Rebbe on this because on the surface, it seems that Moshe, that Aaron is, is lying. And when he, in his, uh, his diplomacy, as often as the case in diplomacy, people say one thing, but they mean something else for a good cause. So here Aaron on the surface is lying telling Reuven and Shimon that each one wants to make peace with the other, it sounds like he is he is lying. The way the Rebbe puts it in a beautiful talk is that Aharon was not lying. Aharon was the one, as we learned in Bahalotcha, he's the one who lights the menorah. He's the one who lights the lamp of every Jew. And as Rabbi Shays Taub put it beautifully in his uh, podcast, which I highly recommend, Rabbi Taub, T-A-U-B, he tells the story of a man named Rabbi Weinreb. Rabbi Weinreb was a rabbi in Baltimore when he was young. And he had questions. He had difficulties. He needed advice. So he called 770. He called the Rebbe's office in Brooklyn. And he says he needs to ask some questions of the Rebbe. And the secretary asked, who's calling? And he didn't want to identify himself. So he just said, a Jew from Brook, from, from Baltimore. A Yid from, from Baltimore. I said, okay. So what are the, what are the questions? And the Rebbe, told, the Rebbe tells the secretary to tell him, you know, if he has questions, he lives in Baltimore, there's a rabbi in Baltimore whose name is Rabbi Weinreb. You should ask Rabbi Weinreb these questions. So he says, I am Weinreb. How can I ask myself the questions? So the Rebbe answered and he said, if that is the case, um, he should know, let him know, that sometimes you have to ask yourself the question. In other words, you have the capacity to answer the question yourself. And Rabbi Taub um, explains this story beautifully. He says that we, each of us, we have two parts to ourselves. We have the part of ourselves which sees things crystal clear, which is strong, which is so tied in with the soul and, and tied in with God. And then we have the part of ourselves that is skeptical, that is fearful, that is, that is weak. And so what the Rebbe was telling him is there's, the, there's a Rabbi Weinreb that you, a part of you, Rabbi Weinreb, that you can, your, your, your skeptical and fearful self can ask and speak to that part of you that is strong and that is clear and clear-headed. So he, he, Rabbi Tab uses beautifully to explain the story of Aaron, that when Aaron was telling Reuven that Shimon wants to make peace, he wasn't lying. The fact that Shimon is making like he doesn't want to make peace that's not his true self. Yes, there's a part of him that wants to fight, but that's not who he really is. Aaron was able to see and he was able to bring out in the people who they really were, that part of themselves, of that soul that is that is so connected with God and certainly wants peace. So he wasn't lying. And I read a beautiful teaching. If you remember when we did Parshas Baalotcha, there's a teaching there in Rashi that says that Aaron did 
Aaron did as God commanded him. And Rashi says, that he did not change. And we had, remember, we talked about, uh, you know, what does that mean? And he didn't deviate. You know, why would he expect, we expect Aaron to deviate? And we cited a bunch of different explanations. So one of the explanations is that Aaron, when he was speaking and saying, he wants that Reuben wants to make peace, Shimon wants to make peace. He wasn't deviating from the truth. Because he was a, a person who lit up the menorah, he lit up the soul of every, of every Jew. From his perspective, yes, Reuben wanted to make peace. And so means he wasn't deviating from the truth. And that's the, the beautiful story of Aharon's passing and the love that the Jewish people had for him because he was able to see the good in everyone and bring out the best in them. We'll open it up to questions and comments. Can I just uh, comment on your last um, last story, actually, of the rabbi asking himself? Um, I mean, I think that's really a beautiful story. I mean, to distinguish between this part of us, this ego part that always has a deep kind of insecurity, lots of limitations, worries, fears, all, all these things that we all have, and yet to go deeper, much deeper in this essence to connect with an inner wisdom that can come from from, from God, from something greater that, that we can do that. I think that's a beautiful story. Thank you. Thank you. Ac excellent. If I'm not mistaken, I think you can you can see on the web that's the rabbi himself telling the story. He later became a a major um, you know leader in the Orthodox Union in the OU, and um, you know very involved in, in leadership of uh, Jewish leadership in America. I think there's a video of him telling the story. Sorry, Hillel, go ahead. My question is that I read somewhere, I, I, I remember that uh, the Jewish people born there in northern nation, that seems to be important from the beginning state. Um, and also, why God punished him for giving uh, him to the Pesach? He didn't do anything to Pesach, he did not have to pass through. Uh, even that he, Moshe Rabbeinu, asked him not to Right. That's a very good question. I, I didn't hear the first the first part, but the second question, why well, is... Um, I think why? I have some of the Jewish people more uh, there on 60 days, more than Moshe Rabbein. Right, right, right. Not 40 days, but it says it's 40 days. Yeah? yeah, that's a good point. It could be, it says somewhere else. It's somewhere else. When I remember we talked about it years ago. You know? Right. That's a good point. Two good questions. Um, I was thinking about the second question, which is, um, you know, what, what exactly the Jewish people do wrong? They wanted to pass through the land. And as you said, it was Moshe himself who asked. Although we did see yesterday that Moshe asked them once. They say no. And then it's the Jewish people that ask. So maybe that's their hint over there that, you know, they should have just left after that. And instead they tried again. So that could be it. But um, we're going to look into that. It's a great question. Thanks. Anybody else? Okay. 
Well, thank you, gentlemen. This has been another wonderful session of Torah. And we'll see you tomorrow, Bezrat Hashem, same time, same place. Thank you very much. Have a good day.